Seed Heads, the cross-pollinating podcast where our Canadian seed heroes tell their stories, share their how-to tips, and talk about the seeds they love. I'm your host, Steph Benoit, coming to you from Vancouver, BC, on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. For today's episode, I sat down with Keely Nixon. Keely is the fearless coordinator of the BC EcoSeed Co-op, the leader of her own one-woman studio, Keely Nixon Creative and Consulting, and a farmer on hiatus. She joined our conversation today from the unceded Coast Salish territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Wasainich First Nations. Keely has such a wealth of knowledge about seeds in British Columbia, and it was a pleasure to chat with her. Together, we scratch the surface of a couple of huge questions, like, where does your seed come from, and why does it matter? We talked about the stories behind our seeds, the co-op model for seed companies, seed security in a pandemic, and so much more. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Keely, it's so great to have you with us today. We've had the pleasure over the past year of connecting virtually a bunch of times, and you actually used to be in my role at Farm Folk and then went on to other great opportunities. But I've yet to meet you in person. One of these days, the pandemic is going to is going to allow us to finally meet when things settle down. Thinking about this episode of where does your seed come from and why does it matter, you were someone that I immediately thought of as a great person to speak to this, just because of all of the different hats that you wear around seed and all of the different perspectives that you can bring. And I'm so excited to be able to chat with you today about that. Oh, thanks for having me, Steph. I'm thrilled to be able to talk about this topic. Also, because I am somebody whose seed wasn't always in the forefront of what I was thinking about gardening too. So I, like many listeners, am in the same point where growing beautiful food is one thing and then digging behind to be like, oh, right, why, what, where's the seed coming from and why it matters is a topic close at heart for me too. Absolutely. So we've seen a lot of really exciting trends in the past year. Amidst all of the chaos of the pandemic, there's been a huge uptick in gardening, a huge renewed interest in growing food. And some of these uh, seed companies, well, most seed companies, small and large, have seen incredible jumps in demand for their seeds. So this feels like a really poignant moment to talk about where does your seed come from and, and why does it matter? If you're someone who is just getting into gardening, this is your first sort of foray and you're going to whatever big box store or whatnot or at the supermarket and you're just picking up a packet of seed, maybe you've never thought about who actually gets it to that point or the process of, of growing and collecting and cleaning and all of those things uh, that get that packet of seeds to your grocery store or to your big box store or whatever else. So I was hoping we could start with this first question of just what are we growing around here? What are we not? When you're buying from a seed company, where is that where's that seed coming from? Yeah, absolutely. And I also agree. I'm so so thrilled to see all the gardening that's been happening and the growing at small and large scales in the last year. And I always love like this opportunity to get at the root of growing, which is the seed itself. Um, I'll small aside that when I'm talking about seed in this conversation, I'm talking about, you know, open pollinated, not for hybrid seed. I'm talking about vegetable and herb seed and, you know, primarily certified organic and or ecologically grown seed. And that is a lot of the seed that uh, we're seeing. I'm here based on the South Island and we have lots of small scale seed growers. So that is a lot of what um, folks are growing. 
And when we're thinking about the sort of story behind the seed, like there is most of us who don't actually really think about where a seed comes from. I think uh, my in-laws, each of them are really great examples of this. They both love growing. They love me. They know I run a seed company and they still buy their seeds from, you know, the hardware store or the rack at the large grocery store without a second thought. And I think, again, that's a really common thread of the like, you're somewhere, you're getting other supplies. Oh, right. I need lettuce seed when you see a rack and you grab it and you grow, you know, beautiful food. But what is the story that you're not knowing from not really asking that question? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was recently just popping into one of these garden stores to buy some potting soil and I was looking at the seeds they have being a seed nerd because I wanted to see what their selection was and what, you know, who they're buying from all of these sorts of things. And it blew my mind to see like all of these seeds were had this special coating on them, I guess, uh, some sort of like fertilizer coating or fungicide. I didn't really look into what it was, but they were all like bright and candy colored. They were like orange or blue or whatever. And they looked so far from the original seed. And I thought, my goodness, that's another step removed from knowing where your seeds come from is not even knowing what they actually look like because they're covered in a, a layer of what looks like an M&M coating, <laughs> probably far more toxic. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really a moment for me after, after doing so much seed cleaning recently to be like, wow, you could not even know what your carrot seed looks like, let alone what part of the carrot it comes from. So yeah, that yeah. was really a moment of realization. Yeah. And like you're, uh, that's a good point too, is thinking of like that question of the, like the where or the what are complex, but just asking that question is a really great starting point. And I think it's one of those things, like if you've got seeds that are stashed aside or say, you know, you bought that packet from the store and you were drawn to it because the photo looked nice, or there was um, some sort of brand recognition happening there, like taking a look on the package or the company's website. What does it say about how, where it's grown? You know, you might see, see the words like um, it's sourced or they supply and then describe the seed. So, you know, high quality or GMO free or organic, but see if there's actually a mention that they're growing it themselves because, you know, looking at that can be really telling in terms of what's the part of the story that you'll know. I think there's a lot of companies out there, many who are fantastic, but they may be based locally, but they aren't growing what they sell, but they source seeds that are grown. So that might be from uh, contract growers who either close by or far afield, or they might be using a broker and sourcing seeds from anywhere. Um, And that's, you know, they're just getting the seeds other places in Canada or the continent or international or wherever they can get seeds so they can meet demand. So it's not about lauding any judgment about that, but it's about that transparency matters, right? So that you as your gardener grabbing those seeds when you're out getting potting soil, you know who grew the seed or where it came from. And there's, you know, multiple reasons that's important, but transparency matters. I think it's also, and like to sort of pull us back for a sec too, is it's this really interesting moment, right? Because we're talking here about seeds as like a product or an input because we're illustrating it's such an integral part of our gardening and food and farm systems. But it's also like a living, seed is a living resource, right? It carries genetic and ecological and cultural stories and all these things that are tied to people and place. So I always return to the wise words of Rowan White, who talks mm-hmm. that, you know, we, the more that we can continue to advocate for seeds and the multitude of the varieties that make up our food system, the healthier and more durable the food system will be. So if we're talking about seeds in the context of people and place, it's like, yes, who's the growing it and what are their stories behind it in terms of being able to figure out what is the system or where it's coming from that matters? So I think like my broad arc of when I talk about why seed matters is one of the things is 
you know, the story of the seed makes it magic, not mystery. So you know where the people are, you know, the conditions it was grown, you know, the histories that might be tied to a variety, uh, which without that sort of transparency, uh, you miss that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you take us through the process of a seed being grown on a farm, being ready to go, and it actually being sold under a certain label or under a certain a certain company? So I think if you're talking about the like the structure of say a seed company and how they source seed, which I think is mm-hmm. yeah. a way to frame that, is you know is um is the questions about the like what is the story of the seed from it's being grown to like you're buying it in that package. So mm-hmm. so that could be like there's many wonderful small scale seed companies that are across um, the country, which you know you can find through the Ecological Seed Finder or the Canadian Seed Index. But that'll also be like you often one grower and they are growing as much as they can. And then they might be doing that packaging, the marketing, the selling through different distribution. Or there's contract growing, like I mentioned, where you have, you know, a grower is making a commitment to provide X amount of a certain kind of seed at a certain quality and will in exchange be paid a price. So often that's larger seed companies might use contract growing to be able to get their seed from multiple places if they're not growing it themselves. What's interesting about the BC EcoSeed Co-op is, you know, we're sort of, the idea is being able to have um, multiple members uh, who are farmers and growing seeds. So the co-op currently is at 20 uh, farmers who are working together, who basically they can access seeds together. So the idea is that they are growing it, they are sending it to our co-op base, and that's where we are doing the packaging, we're doing the uh, marketing for it, we're fulfilling orders, we're getting it to our stockist. So that takes that pressure off of the members to do, you know, have 20 different small seed companies trying to offer everything, but instead can focus on the varieties that do well for them in their region. So that would be very different than somewhere um, such as say William Dam Seeds in Ontario, that is a much larger presence and are likely using multiple modes to be able to pull together seeds to be able to offer such a robust co- uh, catalog year after year. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about, you know, what does that look like from that structure of like a seed being grown to seed being packaged? Um, One example uh, would be, um, so ALM Farm and Full Circle Seeds, which does have its own seed company. They're also a member of the co-op. So that might be something where uh, Mary Alice is doing her cannellini beans and is able to grow it in her field for the season. She lets us know how much she's growing. I can let her know how much has sold in the past year from the best of our sales data. And what she'll do is when she's harvested it, uh, she'll let us know a final weight that she's sending. She pops it in the mail, sends it to our base. We can run the germination tests. Meanwhile, we've got the quality information from her. What was the population size? What was the isolation distance? Did she notice anything in growing? And then after it's passed germination testing, we are able to package it up at packet and bulk amounts. It gets listed on our website. It goes to our retailers. We fulfill the orders. And then at the end of the year, she's getting her share of the what had sold at that point. Nice. I mean, also, I think maybe the reason that we see so many of these companies that are larger or this consolidation of the seed industry, like so many other industries, uh, is that there's a lot of like upfront costs um, or a lot of, yeah, potentially a lot of risks for small seed growers or a lot of hesitation from farms to make that a major part of their business. So I think what's really cool about the co-op as well is that, as you said, it takes some of that pressure of uh, all of the logistics beyond just growing the seeds off the farmers, that there's someone else, a little mastermind like yourself, who's doing some of those projections, making sure it gets to stockists, 
sharing the cost of like the labeling, all of that sort of stuff, the the brand and the identity instead of every farm having to make that from themselves. So I think that's a really cool way to sort of lower the barrier to these different small scale farms of getting into the seed industry. Absolutely. And from my experience, when I was market farming too, it was that line where so many of my far, my farmer cohorts in my age group were just interested in farming. They weren't interested in the having to stand behind the farmer's market table and really like pitch the set, buy these carrots, buy these carrots. So the same for seed growing too, right? If your goal and your passion is growing like one kind of arugula and you want to grow a lot of it and you want everyone to be buying this arugula, do it, do it well, tell us your story and then let us like, you know, market and get it to the people so that you can spend your energy on your farm doing that. And for some crops, it's really easy to add into your already vegetable production. If you want to do a lot of seed, there's lots of complications that can be, you know, worked in or that you should be aware of, but there's wonderful resources out there in terms of that. And, you know, folks have been doing that, particularly the last two decades has sort of seen an interesting renaissance for seed growing and integrating seed into vegetable crop production too. Mm -hmm. So to know that there's a community of growers, whatever province you're in, to be able to tap into, to connect and support that. And there's a, it's a great um, avenue to explore as well. Nice. Could you give a couple examples of things that are growing really well in our region um, and a lot of like seeds that are produced here versus things that tend to grow not so well in BC that we end up importing a lot of? Yeah, well, I think it's always interesting and I don't want to take us too offside, but I think it's really interesting to look back in the history, particularly in BC, because I think when we talk about why seed matters, it's what seed are we talking about? And, you know, what is the possibility it gives us, which a lot of that is that security and independence that you can get the seed you want that you need in your region. So, you know, there's the lines when we're talking here again about open pollinate and not hybrid, there might be great producing hybrids that are crucial to your farm operation. You know, companies like Johnny's out of the States that is a workers co-op, they have great, you know, lots of transparency, lots of breeding. That's, that's wonderful. Those are great resources to have. But when we're talking about the open pollinated varieties that do well here, you know, we're looking at, we don't want tomatoes that are more blight resistant. We want peas that are less uh, prone for any of the wilts. So it's trying to look at what does well here, but we have a great history um, in particular, like 1915 to 1960, you know, with the outset of war happening in Europe, there was a whole panic that the folks wouldn't be able to access the vegetable seeds, which although Canada had, it was, you know, established for grain growing really wasn't for vegetable seeds and they are being imported. And after sort of focusing and pivoting with ranges of community and government support, uh, there was multiple regions in BC that focused on doing biennial crops, carrots, beets, rutabaga, onion, and lots of annuals, probably about a dozen like peas and beans and tomatoes. And, you know, through Southwest BC, the Lower Mainland, the Bulkley Valley, Okanagan, Vancouver Island, it peaked actually in 1945 with um, the equivalent of in 2020 dollars, it would have been about $21 million of 2000 acres in vegetable seed production that we were cranking out. Whoa. And, you know, it stopped being mentioned in about 1915. It really, you know, after the outset of war and changing economics, but it's a really interesting moment to say, you know, climate and soils do well here for lots of ranges of seed. And we have a, his- a proven history to do it, which has really came up in the forefront through the pandemic times. When again, people were like, where do we get our seed? Exports are not coming in. Um, You know, at the co-op, we were able to have, we had farmers contact us saying, oh, my order's tied up at the border. Do you still have a bulk amount of spinach or of carrots? And that we could prioritize farmer orders to get them, which there's nothing like knowing a farmer to call up to be able to have that independence and security. Totally. 
Yeah. And I think you, you touched on a few different points there of uh, the question of why does it matter uh, where your seeds are coming from? I mean, a huge one, as you mentioned, is the security of it. We live in a very globalized world, and sometimes that's to our distinct advantage. And sometimes, like we've seen in the past year, it can make things really complicated. So there is that huge benefit of being able to know the person that's producing your product, whatever it is, in this case, seeds, and having that reliable access to them. Yeah, I think really being able to produce locally means an independence from a reliance of that external market and that security of having that seed at hand. Uh, we're also, you know, if we're growing locally, we can keep varieties in our community. I think of how many countless times I've heard from gardeners about like a particular variety that they love for years, they couldn't get it and they couldn't get it anywhere. It just disappeared. So, you know, even though it may have been important to them, maybe that company didn't see it as a big seller or there was a crop failure or something else that resulted in it being dropped. And, you know, there's a risk that once it's dropped, it can be gone. So if we're having, again, knowing who's growing things, finding local varieties, each having a role to play and seed saving that and passing that on, that keeps those varieties also close at heart and limits more of that external reliance too. Yeah. And the longer something spends in a certain region, the longer it has to become adapted to that. I think that's also one of the big arguments with these sort of living seed banks, if you will, that Every season that it's exposed to this, the conditions that are prevalent in that region or the changing conditions with climate change or whatever else, it has another opportunity to adapt and for certain individuals from that, that population to really thrive under those conditions. So in light of climate change and regional adaptation, there's a huge opportunity there for, for local seeds. Yeah, I think it's a good, like, local grows better locally, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we know, like, the stats are pretty bleak that we've lost 75% of agricultural biodiversity in 100 years. Mm -hmm. And diversity is narrowing at this moment where we need it more now than ever to have that resilience in food systems, particularly because of the, like, what climate change is looking like and how it's accelerating. So when we talk about seeds and the potential that they have, there's you know, the beauty of them and the flavor and the nutrition, but it is that regional adaptation. It's that, you know, that's how that plant will take up nutrients, uh, how it will respond to disease or pests or stress. So, you know, really having those seeds that are grown here in the region or close at home, whether it's the bioregion of BC or, you know, similar soils from Ontario to BC, having regional areas where they're grown and collected helps to build that up in the plant. So, for adapting seeds to changing climates and environmental conditions, it's one way we can actually mitigate risk for farmers and the food systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's more important than perhaps ever before. I mean, with the level of uncertainty that we're facing around climate um, and how it could affect global food systems, it's, yeah, you just like can't overstate the importance of, of trying to sort of have all of our eggs in different baskets when it comes to climate mitigation opportunities uh, in agriculture and across across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And intuitively, it makes sense that if you think about this lovely, the lovely-ish, very wet climate that we have here in a lot of places on the West Coast, and then you think of sunny Southern California, where drought is a huge issue or wherever else and where they're growing a lot of seeds. Or if you think of the fact that some of your tomato seeds could be coming from China um, in a totally different (laughs) sort of ecosystem and under different climate conditions, when you think about all of those things, you're like, okay, yeah, it would make sense that a tomato that's sort of born and raised in BC would do better than a tomato that's coming from somewhere that has almost no climactic similarities to to BC. So I think on that very intuitive level, when you start learning about 
how far afield your seeds are coming from. You're like, oh yeah, that makes sense that, you know, maybe if I, if I had grown up in BC, I wouldn't find these winters so dreadful, (laughs) but instead I'm used to snow and freezing cold. And for me, that's comfortable. And for other people, this is comfortable. And I think in the same way, seeds are the longer that you've spent there, the more adapted you are to it. Absolutely. And I think like seed is like local food, right? From buying it from someone local means you can find out that whole story. So, you know, you can find out what is it, what were the growing conditions? You can actually ask that versus the imported tomato seed from China. Who, who would you ask about, you know, were they using um, a lower till system or what was their irrigation system or what was their fertilizers? You can ask about that when you know who's growing it uh, specifically. You can find out about their germ germination rates. We're really proud that we meet and exceed Canadian standards and we always will list our germination rates. And we that's a really important thing because like, people want to rely on high quality seeds. It doesn't, you know, there's something about having seed. There's a different thing about having high quality seed out there. Uh, also, that people can tell you about their labor practices, their systems. It can tell you about, you know, if there's a reason they're growing it. There's some of those that are tied to such places and people that have been passed on. You can be part of the story by doing that. Which again, if we're externalized and we're not seeing that true cost, you won't you won't know the story. So whether it's you're buying your Costco carrots versus your farmer's market carrots or your seeds from a little local company versus a large importer, it's being able to also have that traceability and accountability back. Mm-hmm. I think so often um, about that Michael Pollan quote about being able to shake the, the hand that feeds you. And I think yeah. it could totally come back to seeds as well of being able to have, I mean, maybe not in pandemic times, physically shaking the hand that feeds you, <laughs> or at least not with a hearty dose of hand sanitizer before and after. But this idea of having so close a connection that you can reach out and and be in contact with the people who are putting the food on your table if you're not doing it yourself is a really, really cool uh, way to feel more connected to your food, to have this positive environmental impact, and then also just to feel the sense of community and connectedness to all stages of the food that you're consuming. Absolutely. And that's why like the surge in the demand for seeds has given me a lot of hope, you know, the hope that people start seeing seed as part of the food system. And, you know, behind that variety that you might notice in your community garden, that lettuce that's gorgeous is, you know, what's a variety? Where'd the seed come from? Being able to track that down and see that that is a starting point for our food systems as well. There's also hope that people will start saving and sharing um, more seeds from either in their garden or with their friends or through many of the countless community seed libraries that exist mm-hmm. across the province and the country. Hope for these of all these family farm and businesses that are specializing in their region, that there's further connections there. There's interest so that we can have more, say, funding opportunities for variety improvement and breeding, and we can have more engagement with that. And I think that like having that access to people is also um, is really hopeful to be able to build community in a moment that we really need that. It's almost like building a a decentralized, resilient community seed bank as the more people growing and talking about seed and being really proud of the varieties that they're growing and like that gorgeous lettuce in their garden. That's that's a win for all of us, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. the as you've kind of already alluded to her, but Rowan White, who's such an incredible Mohawk seed keeper and advocate, speaks a lot to having that connection to the history of your seeds and those stories and how it's so powerful beyond just the productivity in your garden or the taste or whatever, being able to connect with all of the different generations that have come before us and tending these seeds and getting them art, getting them to where they are today is really, really beautiful. And it doesn't have to be, I mean, it's cool if it can be someone that you directly know or whatever else, but it's also cool to connect with stories that you might not have known about. Um, 
For example, this year in the citizen seed trial of Three Farm Folk City Folk, we're growing a variety of snow pea that comes from the Slocan Valley. And it was, it's a little kind of unclear the exact origins of it, but it's believed to have been bred by interred Japanese people during the Second World War who were being kept in the Slocan Valley. And I mean, it's not necessarily a a beautiful story, um, but it is really interesting to think about that is a huge part of BC's history and maybe one that we don't talk about so much. But here it is living through our food, uh, which is kind of a way that we wouldn't even necessarily think that that history would continue to live on. So I think it's so cool to be able to, to go back and connect to all of the different people who have yeah, who have gotten the seeds to where you are today. Absolutely. And I think that's a really beautiful example, because even though that's not a good history, seed is a conversation point to open up the dialogue that is uncomfortable, particularly for a lot of white folks who are gardening and growing. So, you know, how is seed helping us to be able to tell the stories? And I think for myself, that's a real question in doing running a seed company is how do we do good seed work in terms of it? It's not just getting all the varieties out to all the people and having a vibrant traditional business model. It's recognizing all those colonial systems and frameworks and oppression and corporatization on our land and our seeds. And I'm a real behind the scenes, quietly working kind of person, but wanting to really build those relationships, have difficult conversations and show up to listen and amplify, particularly from indigenous seed keepers and look at, you know, how do we lift up the work that's being done from initiatives like Sovereign Seeds or also where's our role? So, you know, we're in, internally, we're also asking like, where are the histories behind our varieties in terms of how we describe them? And can we look at varieties that we have indigenous histories? Can we look at what seed rematriation would look like in terms of being able to either have seed go back to community or that we can still offer it for sale through the shop, but those proceeds are going somewhere to benefit communities. So we don't have answers and there's lots of discussion, but part of it is being able to use seeds as a conversation to talk about uh, those, those, those systems and the frameworks of oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think coming back to, I mean, maybe this is also sort of tangential, but there's so many wonderful thinkers who, and activists who have talked about how all of the seeds that we have today are the result of, or the vast majority of them are the result of basically 10,000 years of co-evolution since humans really dug into agriculture and got where we are today. And so if you think about 10,000 years of people, and maybe longer in some circumstances, 10,000 years of people tending to these seeds and selecting for what they want and, and yeah, carrying them on and passing that wisdom down to their youth and the next generation, it's almost crazy to think of a, a company coming in and in the last 50 years deciding they want to patent something and call it their own. When it's like, well, what about all of these people who came before you who have been working for truly generations to get you that product that you then tweaked one gene on and then called your own? So that's my little odd take on sort of uh, intellectual property rights of you can't really go back and trace the intellectual property rights of 10,000 years of peasant farmers. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you bring up a good point because I think it's like, you know, uh, when we're especially when we're touting something like, you know, where's your seed come from? Why does it matter? Why is local the way to go? It's also there's a whole plethora of challenges around that too, right? So it's also trying to then say like, you know, even, you know, trying to get small seed growers into larger locations, accessibility really matters for getting to mm. seed, right? So I think it's the difference if, you know, if I think of like, how do we make changes for accessing more regional growing is we need our customers to demand to be seeing it. So when you are at that larger store, 
and you're only seeing some sort of generic seeds that are supplied by somewhere, but you know, we're, there's no story there is being asking and making those requests about seeing it. But we also need uh, the retailers to be able to have systems that help get smaller seeds and smaller producers into the market. So I think, for example, it's one of the challenges for us is that there's often a really high product required to be able to Mm. access a location, which is similar to, you know, having produce into, say, chain grocery stores, for example. So it can really keep us out because if we have to be supplying racks of 500 packets at all times to 15 locations, that volume and, you know, we're expected to take a half cut of what the price would be otherwise if we're selling it, that makes it really hard for seed growers to get into those places. So, you know, coupling that with consolidation of the seed industry, increasing in private over public breeding programs, utility patents, plant variety protections, none of that is helping. So it's up now to be able to have, you know, customers demand to see it, to find out where they can ask retailers to do it, have, you know, retailers who are interested in local to be able to hear from the actual suppliers, like how, how can that happen for them? And then, yeah, just purchasing uh, when you can. The success of local requires the market support. So keeping, um, making those choices and voting with your dollars to support local businesses. Mm-hmm. At first, that can seem sort of like a daunting thing to take on of like, oh, I have to do all of this when really I just want that convenience of being able to go to the store and, you know, just when I remember it to pick up that one package of something. But I think there really is so much to be gained um, on a personal level of like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a seed nerd, but that connection, that excitement to the stories and to thinking about, oh, maybe I'm going to start saving this and then passing it on to someone else, like a friend or, I don't know, hopefully a few more years for me, but a a kid or whoever else. Um, I don't know. I I get excited about that. I think that's a bonus. That's something that is hard to quantify. You know, it's hard to say, oh, for a dollar more uh, or whatever else this is. For the dollar that I'm saved, it's going to be worth it to get... to forego those stories and those connections, or it is worth it for me for X number of dollars. But at the end of the day, I think that's a really amazing opportunity to get involved and connected and not to feel like you're just living in this little concrete jungle. So, so separated from all of the people who are, who are feeding you and taking care of you and everything else. Absolutely. So uh, last two comments on that point is I think there's two things I'd love to see, you know, in the show notes, we can include for listeners places to find local seeds. So like the ecological seed finder and Canadian seed index. However, also like that's if you went out and you bought your seeds at the hardware store, I that no judgment, but send us an email to BC Eco Seed Co-op. Tell us where you bought your seeds. Tell us where you're buying in your communities in particularly in BC so that we can explore how to talk to those retailers to get there. So I won't can't change everyone's buying habits at once, but I can definitely ask for feedback to hear where you want to be seeing us too. And that helps us make the case for how we want to explore in different regions too. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it's interesting to hear about why people got into seeds, because it seems like a lot of people that I've talked to didn't, they didn't set out and they were like, ah, yes, this is what I will do with my life. I will dedicate it to the seeds. And still, when I tell people what I do, they're like, hmm, okay, so seeds, tell me more. (laughs) I Yeah, I just think like, and I'll be anecdotal completely like to locate myself in this, like that seed has not always been central for me. I remember my mom planting a backyard garden in the first childhood home we had, and I admire people's gardens, but I never had any idea about what seed was like. I would more think like, oh, that's beautiful, or what is that? Mm-hmm. But it was actually when I started gardening with my now husband that I remember watching my sister, uh, her, his sister, my now sister-in-law, 
have like packages of seeds out in the yard. And it was Mojave Kaplan from Planting Seeds Project. I remember distinctly seeing her package and thinking of the like, that looks different than everywhere else. And it's a definitely, I think her package still looks the same. It's a very homespun look, but it was something that grabbed me because I felt like there must be a story and it made me look twice. And then, you know, by 2004, I started farming with ALM Farm, which is the home of Full Circle Seeds here on the West Coast of Vancouver Island. And a whole new world opened up for me to look at who grows our food and our seed and why, why it matters. And I think again, like the story of the seed behind all those gardens and the range of knowledge is so interesting to see in this current moment. So again, it's, if there's, if there's any aha moments out there for anyone, it's just even to think about when you're grabbing that seed next where to look up that company, learn a little bit more or yeah. Google who's a growing local seed in your province and dig a little bit deeper and see who's out there. There's um, there's probably some really cool stories behind um, behind those packages too. Uh, yeah, I can't like, I can't stress enough the, the joy that it brings me to be able to uh, like show someone how like, oh, this is actually the part of the plant where the seed comes from. And they're like, huh, I've never thought about that. You know, a lot of my friends who are like me in their late 20s are just now for the first time starting to think about, hmm. Wow, I didn't know that that's like the part where you would get, I don't know, where you would get seeds from this plant or that plant or whatever else. And there's that real joy of discovery that sometimes I think, especially as we get older and we kind of feel maybe a little bit more like, not world weary, but (laughs) that's another word I'm looking for. But as we, I don't know, as we kind of get into our habits, we sometimes lose a little bit of that sense of curiosity or the joy of discovery. It can be harder to connect with that. And so that's so cool as well. Um, to me to be able to to provide a bit of that that joy mm-hmm. of discovery or that moment of connection or whatever else is is really really powerful and that is still like you know seed security is a different like that even food security like where does it fit where does seed fit fit with food systems which has still been has been a real gap which is funny because it is this line of where is you know seed something that we all have access to and versus like how does that become a product or an input and I think it's um, different because I think we're trying to have things to be able to coexist and have them and hold them in different spaces in different places in different times um, which is super interesting and seeds you know have so much potential there was um, a New York Times story on April 21st about uh, this long-standing research project of seeds that were buried and are ch- dug up every 20 years and are tested for germination to see like <laughs> are they still lasting? And what does that mean? And of course, you know, there's seed banks and there's seed vaults and there's other things. But just again, like, there's an interest there, because there's this feeling of um, the magic that they can hold in terms of, you know, they can crank out great lettuce for the year, and we eat the lettuce and whatever's left of the plant, we compost, and that's fine. But it's, you know, if you had a little bit of that seed left, and nobody else was selling it the next year, you know, is that seed how much more valuable is that? uh, Mm -hmm. Is that to you too? Yeah, I mean, coming back to this idea of knowing where our food comes from, I think once you even get to the point where you're like firmly like, okay, this is how a zucchini grows or whatever else, or this is, it grows on this plant in this way, it's finding, it's not, it's determinate, it's indeterminate. Once you get to that level, then there's still that other level of, okay, you get that food doesn't just come from the grocery store, there's a step before that, but then there's a whole step before you just get the seed from that packet. And sometimes it feels like it's as mysterious to people as like what comes before we're born, you know, it just, who knows, it's just there. One day you just wake up and that's as far as you remember. So <laughs> I think that's uh, 
that's that kind of next step in perhaps the natural evolution for a lot of people who get into vegetable gardening or any sort of planting to think, okay, like now I know how it, how you get it from seed to plant. How do you get it from plant back to seed? Absolutely. And there's so many great resources out there too, that like we're always trying to lift up what already exists, but in our news section or our blog for the BC Eco Seed Co-op, for example, we have some roundups of reading lists on terms of vegetable growing, but also of seed production, some links to resources. We also keep a bunch of books that are talking about uh, children and seeds, which I think is also really great in terms of using that, even if we don't know it as, you know, as parents or as aunties or uncles that like talk to our kids about the magic of seeds is always a great, great tool. And there's fantastic seed podcasts. There's all these ways out there to be learning about the growing and doing And even if, you know, I myself, I am a landless recovering farmer, I have access to (laughs) a very small patio and a shared community garden plot, um, mainly because I'm volunteering behind the scenes to help strengthen our community garden. I'm well waitlisted, but it's trying to like, you know, make decisions and support information sharing, even if I can't do it myself. So we can't do it all. But if we can, you know, forward that Facebook article about why seed matters or do something that that is being part of building resilient seed systems too, and really showing the stories behind the local folks as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Keely. So much great information that you have and that you shared. And hopefully this, this piques a few people's curiosity about what's in that packet and how it got there. And yeah, we'll put a bunch of links in our show notes about different resources that people can tap into, places that they can connect connect with local seeds, uh, places they can find them, all of those sorts of things. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to do this and have this conversation. And hopefully this is just the first of many more conversations, both amongst us and amongst other people who, who get into this. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And a real shout out to all the seed mentors out there and all the folks who have helped guide my journey. And also, I hope if there's even one person who listens to this, who starts thinking about seed in a different way, then I feel like I'm also contributing back to the community that's helped to raise um, to my, raise my profile and my experience and knowledge as well. Seedheads is produced by the Bowda Family Initiative on Canadian Seed Security, a program of Seed Change. Seed Change's main office is located on the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. You'll find Seedheads wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This work is made possible thanks to our amazing donors and the incredible community of farmers and organizations we work with. To find episode transcripts and translations, learn more about our programs, and to support seed work in Canada, please visit seedsecurity.ca.